Well, I want to I want to build off of what Pastor Terry just talked about. Uh, he talked about confession and forgiveness. So in this hour, I want to talk about conflict, which is usually the occasion where we have to practice what Pastor Terry was speaking about. So uh, let me pray for us as we come to our material. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, the joy of forgiveness, and thank you that we can forgive as God in Christ forgave us, and that uh, even when people have hurt us seriously and, and significantly, that uh, we can look to Christ and, and how kind and benevolent and uh, gracious you've been, and, and that, that helps us, that works in our hearts uh, so that we can show that to others. Uh, give us grace now as we talk about conflict. We we don't like to talk about um, fighting and conflict and unpleasant things, but uh, your word has great encouragement for us, and so I pray that this would be a blessing as we look to your word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have noticed this before, but um, we don't do conflict very well. Have you noticed this? We don't do conflict so well. Uh, some of you have heard this before. This is my one of my favorite conflict stories from a news article I read years ago. The headline goes like this. Man uses air raid siren to quiet wife. <laughs> it's true. Uh, out of Berlin, Germany, many years ago is a Reuters story. A 73-year-old man who used an air raid siren to stun his wife into submission has had it confiscated by German police. Then they interviewed the guy. Quote, My wife never lets me get a word in edgeways, the man identified as Vladimir R. told the Mannheim police. So I crank up the siren and let it rip for a few minutes. It works every time. <laughs> Afterwards, it's real quiet again. A police spokesman said the neighbors had complained that, that the noise from the 220-volt rooftop device believed to be an old-fashioned air raid siren. Can you imagine? Someone was doing their marriage like this. Uh, you think you had marriage issues. Uh, um, now, then, they, then they go find the wife. Rosina, Vladimir's wife of 32 years, says she sometimes has had to yell to get his attention because, quote, my husband is a stubborn mule, so I have to get loud. So, see, we do not do conflict so well, do we? Um, and, and maybe you've never uh, had to go to that length in your conflict, in your marriage, and, and installing a rooftop air raid siren to get some silence in your home. Uh, I bet that if we went around the room here, you would say, yeah, we've all got some room for improvement when it comes to conflict. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to do a... I want to take a, a spiritual MRI of conflict. When you have something wrong with your body, your doc says, hey, we need to go take a picture, right? Go, go to the MRI. We're going to look and see what's going on inside so that we can evaluate, we can diagnose, and we can help. So what I want to do is help you to understand how conflict develops, right? That's our MRI. We're going to examine it, figure out what's going on. And then having understood why conflict happens, that'll help us better to know what to do about it, okay? So um, hopefully this will be... Helpful. The development and resolution of conflict. Let's jump right in. First of all, we need to understand that as sinful people living with other sinful people in a broken, sinful world, we should not be surprised that we sometimes have conflict. Right? Um, one, one sinner marries another sinner, and then they have little sinners, and they wonder why there's conflict in the home. 
conflicts, quarrels, disagreements. Uh, James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? James says, James doesn't even say, are you having any conflict? He just assumes it, and then he says, let me tell you why you're having issues. And we'll come back to what James tells us in a moment. But for now, just know that that's to be assumed. The second thing I want to note by way of introduction here is that a disagreement does not need to turn into a conflict. You say, what's that? Let me me give you two definitions. A disagreement is just that. You disagree. A conflict is when that disagreement involves a sinful desire attitude, response to that disagreement that often manifests itself in various emotions which reveal a sinful heart attitude. In other words, um, the difference between a disagreement and a conflict is a conflict has to do with how you respond. Are you with me? How, how you respond. And, and you, know, you know what's interesting? Uh, couples, believers that are mature in the faith, are the type of people that have learned how to navigate differences and disagreements in a way that is honoring to the Lord and harmonious with other people. A mark of Christian maturity is that you and I can hang around and be around and work with and even enjoy people that are not like us. And we can still honor Jesus. So I just want to throw that out because sometimes we think that the way to get rid of conflict is you just need to see it exactly my way, right? That's, what, right? That's how we do it. If you would just see it the way I see it, if you would just agree with me, we wouldn't be having this. When actually Christian maturity says the opposite. The grace of Jesus allows you to disagree with me and we can still be friends, we can still work together, we can even hang out and enjoy that. So we need to be careful about how we're defining our terms here. Secondly, no disagreement, no matter how important, is worth demeaning the name of Christ and dishonoring Him by responding to sin. Paul writes to the Corinthians about this. You see the reference there in 1 Corinthians 6 in in regard to the fact that Christians were suing one another in Corinth. They were bringing Christians uh, lawsuits and taking them to the court. And, and Paul, Paul says this. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 6 about these Christians that are suing other Christians. He says this. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud and that of your brothers. He says, think about the horrible witness that it is that you and your Christian brother or sister can't figure it out, so you go to a pagan, unbelieving court system and say, help us work out our differences. And Paul says, if it comes down to it, isn't it better to be wrong, just live with the fact that you were defrauded of something, rather than demean the name of Christ amongst people that need the gospel? We don't think like that, because uh, we, we love our rights, we love, our, we love to be um, entitled, and uh, so we have to let... The Bible adjusts our thinking on that. Okay, so a disagreement does not need need to turn into a conflict, and we should expect that in a fallen world, disagreements are going to happen. So here's what I want to do. Back up. There we go. I want to help you to see how a disagreement turns into a conflict. And uh, so so imagine this. Uh, Guys, imagine this. It's Monday morning, and we're reviewing the film from the football game on Sunday. That's what we're doing. We're going back to the game. We're going to look at certain plays. We're going to look at certain moments. And we're going to go frame by frame. And we're going to figure out 
how did the other team make that in, that interception? What, what what happened with our our uh, our offense there? Right? We're we're gonna we're gonna analyze the film. So that's what we're doing, right? We're gonna analyze a conflict and figure out how uh, it happens so that we can hopefully learn from it and avoid it. So let's turn in our Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. You have in your notebook a funny looking diagram. As a former recovering engineer, you're going to get a diagram today. So what you're going to do, I'll build the diagram for you on the, the PowerPoint. And we're going to start with that first little box to show how does a disagreement turn into a conflict. It starts with a disposition. A disposition. That's what goes in that first box there. Disposition. You say, what's a disposition? Disposition is... It's the direction of your heart. It's, it's what you're focused on, right? It's what, it's what your life is aiming at at any given moment. You say, what does that have to do with conflict? Well, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. What should our aim be? What should our goal in life be as Christians? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, Therefore... We have also as our ambition, whether at home or absent, here it is, to be pleasing to Him. Talking to the Corinthians, you know, they're, they're in a, a horrible culture, new, brand new Christians coming out of Corinth, and they're just trying to, to walk in their new faith. Paul says, let me make it real simple for you. You know what your goal in life is? To please and honor Him. He said in his first letter, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? Do all to the glory of God, right? It's the same thing. We're glorifying God. We're seeking to please Him. And in fact, Paul is going to say, that's actually why Jesus died on the cross. Did you know that? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Talk to me. Forgive us of our sin. Reconcile us to God. Yeah, those are all good answers. Look down at verse 15, same chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. Listen to Paul's answer. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Verse 15, he died for all so that we who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To rescue you from you. To rescue you and me from a life of living for self, which is bondage, which is destructive, which is... Uh, it, well, it's fun to live for you for a little while, right? And then you look around, you're like, why are there all these broken relationships around me? Why am I unfulfilled, though I have pursued, 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 and, and I'm, still not, I'm still not happy? It's because Jesus died to free us, to rescue us from living for self. That is the road that leads to destruction. And instead, what does he do? He rescues us, he pulls us off that road, and what does he say? so that though they might no longer live for themselves, but for Him. The gospel is about you and I repenting of living for self and replacing it with living for Christ. That's why He directed us. That's why He, excuse me, that's why he died for us. Okay? So what does this have to do with conflict? Let, let, let's, say, let's say that uh, my wife and I are doing a house project. Maybe you do house projects. Um... And in fact, this happened the other day. Uh, we um, we had to, we have to replace our mailbox, so we had to go down to Home Depot and buy one of those mailbox pole thingies, and then a box to put on top. And and so we're doing that. And, th and then we go over to the um, 
the paint area of Home Depot, and it's like, uh, we're going to paint this pole. And I'm thinking, it's a brown wood pole, let's paint it brown. And she's like, well, what if, we, what if we get like a stain that matches the brick on our house? And we find this brochure, and I'm like, okay, look at this brochure. And I'm like, there's 93 different stains in the, oh, there's a, oh no, there's more than that. Look, there's another page. And, and I'm, there's all these colors, all these things, and, and it's like, we just paint it brown. Brown goes with everything, doesn't it, right? Brown. And she's like, well, we can get the, the cedar wood, or we can get the, the redwood, or the pine. Or, and I'm like, I'm a guy. I think in six colors. <laughs> Right? And ladies, you know this, right? Your, your husband, he knows blue, he knows red, he knows orange, he knows green. But when you start, start talking about like periwinkle and... We're, we're, it's like it's, we, we don't have the mental capacity to understand 16.7 million colors. So just say it's, it's like blue and then you're good. It's like blue. So, so let's say, and, and praise the Lord, this didn't happen, but let, let's say we're there, and I'm thinking, just get the brown, and she's thinking, no, let's match the house, we can get this sample and match it, and then that, get this sample and match it, and, and all of a sudden we're kind of like having a little argument there on aisle nine at Home Depot. And uh, what's going on there? What, what's causing the anger in my heart? What's causing the anger in my wife's heart when, when we have disagreements like that? Well, it's easy in that moment to think that the problem is my wife. Now, talk to me. We, we don't like to say it, but, but don't, guys, don't we agree? If she would just see it our way. Brown is simple. Brown is cheap. Right? Periwinkle is expensive. And, and, and then, you know, you want to get the 30-year the version that costs twice as much as the $10 version that you just slap, right? And I'm thinking, if she's not thinking economically. You know, we're not made of money, right? We're, we, we get the, the brown because it's simple. We put it on. It's easy. We're done. And, and we don't have to look through the brochure that has 900 colors in it, you know, and then get the 30-year that's going to last long. It's not going to last longer, and right? And, and, and I'm tempted to believe in that moment that the reason I'm getting a little angry at her is because she's just not listening to me. The Bible says I'm her leader, right? I'm the leader in the home. I'm called to be the, the, the shepherd, the head. And that just means you agree with me all the time, right? <laughs> Brother, we'll have marriage counselors available for you um, after the... Uh, okay. So, so here, here's what we're seeing. In a moment when I'm tempted to believe that she's the problem... And she's just not listening. She's not agreeing with me. What the Bible says is actually that conflict is starting not on aisle nine at Home Depot. It's happening in my heart. In that moment, is my goal to please Christ and to live for Him or to please myself? Do you see that? So, so it's personal. It's going to get convicting, I'll, I'll warn you. But that disposition of my heart... It, could, would you agree, if, if I'm sitting there on aisle nine talking to my wife about the, what color we do the poll in the, the mailbox, if my goal in life was to please him, I would have responded differently. Right? I'm thinking, oh, my goal is to honor Christ by how I'm thinking about her and her opinion, how I'm responding to her and her opinion, how I'm thinking about the situation. But actually, 
the Bible says the problem is I have a disposition problem, that my heart, my, my focus, even my worship is aimed at myself instead of Christ. And based on the disposition of the heart, that leads secondly to what I want, to my desires. If you're in 2 Corinthians, just turn back in your Bible to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And let's look at what he has to say. What I'm doing here, guys, I'm, I'm building for you a progression of conflict. Um, there, there, my, my wife and I are there. We're upset. We're angry. We've had some words with each other. We're looking around Home Depot hoping no other church members are there. Right? But we're in a conflict. Where did that start? The Bible says it starts first with the disposition of my heart. Is my goal in life to please Christ or please myself? And then that disposition influences then what I want. Now, now look at what James says in James chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, in context, he's talking about temptation and why are we tempted. And he's, he's already ruled out the possibility that God is tempting me, right? I, uh, God doesn't tempt people. Uh, he doesn't tempt, tempt anybody, verse 13 says. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust or his own desire. That word lust or desire means a governing desire, a ruling desire. This is a desire that has its hands on the steering wheel of your heart. Got it? It's something you want that's directing your life. And James says, um, that's why you're tempted. You're tempted because you want things and, and notice the description here. He says each one is carried away and enticed. When I think of carried away, I think about growing up in, in Southern California and going body surfing. It was something we did all the time. And in fact, as my kids have grown up and we've gone uh, back home to see grandparents and whatnot, we, we go to the beach and we, we do some body surfing there. And uh, one of the things you have to do when you surf, whether it's you know longboard, shortboard, body surf, whatever, is you have to be aware of currents. There is an incredibly dangerous phenomenon. In fact, last summer uh, at the co on the Gulf Coast, there were lots of deaths. You may remember reading about them for these things called rip currents. And what rip currents are is it's a, it's a phenomenon that happens on the beach where there are currents of water underneath the waves that you can see. And those currents can be so powerful, they can pull a swimmer out to the ocean and are so strong that you can't overcome them. And Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, could not overcome a rip current. That's how strong they are. And so uh, they, they teach you when you're surfing, if that's happening, what you do, if you get caught up in that, you, you swim parallel to the beach to get away from the current, and then you can get back. If you just fight it, you wear out and you drown. And that's what happens, sadly, to several people on the coast. Well, looking back at the text, James says that's what your desires are like. When you want something and it's driven by self, it's like that rip current. It's pulling you in a direction. It's, it's controlling you, and you might even be trying to fight against it, and, it's yet, and yet it's pulling you in a direction that you may not want to go. He says, that's what your sin is like. And we know that, don't we? You, you, you know that pull. You, you, you've done battle with that pull in your heart like I have. He says, that's why you've got to be really careful with what you want. Notice the second word there he used to describe them. He says they're enticed by his own lust. They're enticed by his own lust. That word enticed means to lure by deception. To lure by deception. Or, or as we say in the South, to lure. 
Um, now, now, where are my fishermen? Where are my anglers? Got, got some fishing guys and girls here? Be, be proud. Be proud. Okay. So, sir, can you please tell me what is the purpose of a lure? To trick the fish. That's right. A lure is a device, you know, it's a shiny little thingy or something that looks like bait, but, but it's, it's something you put on the end of the, of the, the string, you throw it in, and, and the, the, the idea is to deceive the fish, to trick the fish into thinking that this is something desirable, like food, like lunch, and it tricks the fish, right? And then you grab on the hook, and then, you know, you've got, you know, Bobby Bass in Lake Granberry, right? Um, and so I just want you to know that if that's what you do for fun, you are deceiving God's creation. I just, I just want you to know that. Um, so um, that's what fi- fishing is all about, deceiving God's fish. So, um, so, so, so think about that, right? We, we got Lake Granberry, got great bass fishing here, right? And we toss that, that lure in, and there's Bobby Bass there, and he's like, huh, this is the easiest lunch I've had in weeks. You know, there it is, and chomp, and then the hook, and then he's dead, and he becomes lunch. James says, um, that's what your desires do to you. They lure you, they trick you by deceiving you. Make sense? Now, if we're talking about fishing, it, it's a visual lure, right? It's a visual deception. It, it looks like something pleasant, and it ends up being something that kills the fish. How this works in life is not so much visual as it is cognitive. The Bible calls these desires the lusts of deceit, meaning they're lying to us in some way. Think you know how this happens. If I just had a wife that understood me better, or a husband that understood me better, you know, I I was watching a commercial the other night, and um, I've, I've got a great ride. It's right out here. Great transportation. It's a 1999 Camry on the second engine. Uh, it, it's it's a it's an awesome color called beige. Um, it was my grandmother's car, and now two of my kids have learned to drive in it. So it's a and a great transportation gets me to and from. You know, Toyota reliability. And I'm sitting on the couch the other night a couple of years ago, and a commercial comes on for the Ford F-150 Texas Edition. And uh, I'm like, uh, yeah. And, and um, so I'm sitting there watching, and um, you know the commercial. Here comes the family, right? They're 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 running out to the car, to the truck. They jump in. They're going to the lake. You look at the back of the truck. There's a brand new ski boat. They got wakeboards strapped to that thing. They're going to a day at the lake. You know, the wife walks in. She's happy. Her husband walks in. He's happy. She's happy. The kids walk in the back. They're not fighting in the back seat. There's no Oreos and Cheerios being spilled everywhere. The backseat is clean. The kids are getting along. Teenagers getting along. And they're going to the lake. And, and then they're out there. They're, they're tearing up. They're carving the water. And I'm sitting there going, you know, it's about time to replace that Camry. Um, you know, I th- I'm thinking, man, we could have family memories. And, you know, we'd be, have happy weekends. And the kids would get along. And, and before you know it, I've been hooked. Because what commercials do is they create discontentment. And they deceive us into wanting things by introducing lies. So what's happening to me on the couch as I'm watching? I'm thinking things like this. If I had that truck, I'd have a great marriage. Look at how happy the wife is. 
If I had that truck, my kids would always get along and not mess up the back seat of my car. Look, look at the, the car's clean. Look at how much fun they're having. Look at the fan. And I'm actually believing that a truck is capable of doing that. And you do that too, don't you? And it's something as silly as a commercial, I'm being deceived and enticed and lured by my own lusts, aren't I? That's what, that's what James is saying is happening. So, so there I am, aisle nine on, on Home Depot, and I'm thinking brown, economical, she's thinking periwinkle or whatever she's thinking, and, and I'm, I'm starting to think things like this. You know what? Um, she should honor me because I'm her husband. You know, I, 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 Bible says somewhere I'm, I'm the leader of the home, and she should, you know, she's not respecting me by, you know, defying my opinion. I'm starting to tell myself all sorts of lies to substantiate what I want. Do you see that? And that's what's happening. And so James says, remember, we're going, we're watching the film. We're doing the film, right? We're doing frame by frame. How did Keith and Lisa's conflict happen at Home Depot? It starts with my heart is set on pleasing myself, not pleasing God. And that fuels what I want. And what I want is fueled by lies that I'm telling myself that make me feel entitled and justified with what I want. I, I, I call it, um, I, I call it the, uh, the disease of Burger King theology. I want my way right away. Um, that's what's going on. So our desires, our lusts. Uh, flip the page to James chapter 4. You're in chapter 1. Just flip the page to James chapter 4. Are you with me? Is this making sense? Does this happen in your marriage too? Chapter 4, verse 1. James says, What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And then he says this, Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Or your, your version may say something different. But the source is your pleasures that wage war in your members. You say, what's that word pleasure mean? What, why do we have a war inside of us? That word pleasure means this. It's the feeling you get when you get what you want. The feeling you get when you get what you want. We're coming up on Black Friday. We're coming up on, on Christmas. You will see this word on display under Christmas trees all over the country. Because we love to get our way, don't we? You know, guys, if we went up to Cabela's and we would walk in that store, just the smell of Cabela's. I mean, it's just satisfying, isn't it? You know, And you walk in there and, and, and it's like... Yes! And, and what if the wife said, what if the wife said, you know, you've worked hard all year. There's that, that handgun you've been drooling over. Why don't you just go get it? What would happen in your heart? You're thinking, I have ascended to the third heaven, right? I've, right? You'd be, that, that feeling, that feeling is what James is talking about here. We love to get our way. I, I, I could give a, a girl analogy, but... I'm not a girl, so I don't know girl analogies quite as well. But you know, ladies, you know that feeling, right? When you get what you want and, and it's satisfying, it is wonderful, that's what James is talking about. Okay. Some of the ladies are like, I'd like a new handgun too. You know, I, well, awesome, great, go for it. Um, okay, so we're, we're trying to figure out how does conflict happen. It, start in, it starts with the disposition of my heart. Am I pleasing Christ or am I wanting to please myself? That feeds then what I want. And what James is saying is what we want can be dangerous because our desires can tend to deceive us and tend to lie to us. And then we get lured away by those wants in deception. 
And James is saying here, um, we so love to get our way, we are in love with getting our way, that that fuels this even more. Verse 2 says, um, you want something and you don't have it, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Notice what James is saying is, your conflict happens because you don't get your way. You say, that sounds too simple, Pastor Keith. You see it in your two-year-old, you see it in your teenager... The only difference between our teenager and our toddler and us is we're better at hiding it. But the reality is we get angry, we get conflict because we're simply not getting our way. And we want that feeling of getting our way so much. James says that's your problem. Okay? So, go back to our diagram. Disposition leads to desires. Desires leads to some sort of difference, right? And have you noticed that God in His kindness and mercy and grace if you're married, allowed you to not marry somebody exactly the same as you, even if you tried. And um, maybe it's not a marriage. Maybe it's a mom or dad that's different than you. Maybe it's a sibling that's different than you. Maybe it's a good friend who's different than you. And those differences can put tension on the relationship, right? And and I've noticed this, and we're going into Thanksgiving week here. I've noticed that, that God loves us enough that there are seasons of life that are especially useful in highlighting our differences. There are things like vacations, holidays, house projects, having children. All of those are things that will bring out differences between you and other family members, right? Bring those out. And... Um, uh, you know, I, Do you do a live tree or a fake tree? Profound theological things like that, right? That are going to cause conflict in your marriage, right? Do do we... um, When do we start listening to Christmas music? Some of you had conflict this last week about that, didn't you? (laughs) Profound theological topics, right? Like when is Christmas music legal and when is it not legal? And You know, I, I, I kid you not. Home Depot had Christmas stuff up before Halloween was over. And my theory is we're just going to keep backing it up that we're going to skip a whole Christmas some year because we just backed it up so much to be like, take the, no, just leave the tree up. We're doing it all over again. It's January. I know. It's not too early. So, okay. So those differences then lead to what? To some sort of disagreement. And I want you to see, guys, that the disagreement that you have with your spouse or with your friend or with your child or with your mom or dad, that disagreement is the occasion of the conflict, not the cause. The fact that I want to paint the pole brown and she wants to make it, you know, redwood, periwinkle, something, is not the cause of the problem, it's the occasion. That difference and that disagreement is what reveals what's inside of me. And that, you ever wonder, why is, why is my wife always, why is my husband always this? Because God loves you. And he wants you and me to see how selfish we are. How much we love to live for ourselves and not Him. How, how our desires become way too important and deceive us. And He loves us and wants us to live for Him. And He wants us to joyfully give deference to other people and preference to others. And that's why these disagreements... See, could it, could it be? Could it be? 
that the things that we're frustrated about, these disagreements and arguments we keep having, are actually God's attempts to rescue us and to grow us more into the image of Christ. And that what we're doing, I know I've done this, we're fighting against God's plan to make us more like His Son. When I see my spouse as the problem, instead of my spouse as the person God puts in my life to grow me and change me more into the image of Christ. So disposition leads to desires, desires leads to difference, difference leads to disagreement, that reveals the occasion. Then what happens? Detonation. Boom! Right, it blows up. That's If you've got James open, that's James 4 too, right? You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So you see, the, the fighting and anger and detonation is actually the result of what? The disposition of my heart and the desires of my soul. So you know what's interesting? So this is aisle nine at Home Depot, right? This is where the conflict actually started. It started in me long before we started talking about stain and paint. It was in here. And that's why this is so important to see because, you know, I do what you do. And that is when this happens in my marriage or in my relationships, I want to go here and say, this is the problem. If you would just agree with me, if you would just listen to me, if you would just come to see the wisdom that your husband had. No, don't do that. Um, (laughs) Right? This is where I want to put the problem when actually the Bible says this is the problem. Does that make sense? Okay, so and then detonation, right? That's the sinful response because I didn't get my way, and that leads to disintegration, which is when bitterness, resentment, coldness, distance, withdrawing, unforgiveness. And the Bible says, if I don't deal with that quickly, I give the devil an opportunity in my marriage or my relationship. Okay. Do you see it? Does that make sense? That's why we have conflict. And long before... The occasion comes up long before the disagreement comes up. What determines whether or not I have conflict or not is what's going in my heart long before that comes up. This is why, just as a footnote, guys, this is why the Bible is always saying, watch over your heart with all diligence. From it flow the springs of life. That's why the Bible is always telling us, guard your heart, watch over your heart, renew your mind, be careful what you think, don't be conformed to the world, right? Take every thought captive. It's like, why is the Bible? Because that's the issue. The issue is what's going on in my heart and where am I aimed at? What am I wanting? Okay, so you got this? You got this on your chart? Okay, now, I'm going to blank the screen, don't freak out. I'm going to blank the screen, don't freak out. At the very end of your notes, you have the complete version. Don't turn there now, don't turn there now. Um, you got the whole thing there, so you can just relax. I just want you to watch up here, okay? So, with that in mind, can, can I ask you this? The last time you had a conflict, can you see your conflict up here now? Can you see it? you see why it happened? And can you see how knowing the progression now helps us to know what we can do about it, right? So let's blank the screen here, and let's say, okay, which one of those do we need to go after first? If we're going to fix the conflict, what, what do we do first? Up here? Yeah, you're right. Which one do we typically go after? I did this, sweetheart. Um, Brown is wonderful. Brown goes with everything. Brown, we don't have to take all these samples home and paint the little pole and put them up against the brick. It's 
Simple, right? That's what I want to do is I want to go to my wife and talk down to her like that instead of saying, my problem was in my heart, okay? So this is so important, guys. When you do conflict resolution, don't go after the symptoms. Attack the source. Go after the source first. So that's the first thing I do. I evaluate, where's the focus of my heart? Who or what am I worshiping? Whose glory am I living for? This sounds like an overstatement, but it's not. If I'm demanding my way, I have a worship disorder. It's not about paint. It's not about economics. It's not about ultimately what the house looks like. It's about am I honoring Christ or seeking to please myself? So I ask those questions. What did I want, right? What lusts are ruling me and how do I fix that? Repentance, confession, forgiveness. Go back to what Pastor Terry taught you last hour. That's how you fix it. But it starts with addressing the issues in my heart. Now we can talk about the paint, the stain color, right? Nope. Once I deal with my heart, what's the second most important thing? i got to go find my wife and confess my sin to her. Because I have let my selfishness and my sin break our relationship. I've hurt her. I've said hurtful things. I've demanded... I've made excuses for my way. I've made her feel guilty for having a different opinion. And I need to go repent of all of that. So I think about how did I sin in my response, right? How did I, how am I currently sinning? Maybe, maybe I blew up and, and now, you know, I'm in the garage. That's where guys go when they sulk, right? They go to the garage and, um, or the shop. And, um, and I'm out there actively sinning in my shop after the blow-up by saying things like this. I can't believe she would do that. Doesn't she care about this? She doesn't care about our money. She, right? I'm grumbling. I'm feeding the anger. And that is destructive. And so now I need to repent. I need to go to her and say, Sweetheart, what I said was hurtful. I was being selfish. I was thinking only of my own way. I made you feel guilty. I, I was saying things that were manipulative and hurtful. And... Um, I've talked to God about my sin. I've asked Him to forgive me. And now I'd ask you, will you please forgive me? I don't want to treat you like that. And you walk through that. Now that you've dealt with your heart and you've dealt with repairing the relationship, now in fellowship with God and in friendship with your spouse, you can talk about the stain color. Now you have a conversation, right? Is the difference a preference issue, a sin issue, a conscience issue, or a wisdom issue? We'll talk about... Not every difference that you have with a person is in the same category, right? So you have to think about those uh, uniquely, and then how does God call me to respond? And then you work together to solve the problem. That's where you go. Okay, now again, if you want to cheat, you can flip to the end of your notes, and you can see that I've got the full chart there for you. Okay, are you with me? Making sense? Okay, so let's put this into a procedure then. I've essentially just walked through it through the picture but let's talk about it in terms of a procedure. If you wanted to walk through steps of conflict resolution, and again, I'm going to build off of what Terry already talked to you about confession and forgiveness. How do we do that? What is a biblical procedure for resolving conflict? The first thing is you have to have a commitment to reconcile. Uh, a commitment to reconcile. Um, let's, uh, let's turn our Bibles back to Ephesians chapter 4. And um, let's talk about a commitment to reconciliation. 
you're not going to resolve your conflict if you or the other person isn't committed to doing it. And often this is where the battle starts. I have to repent of my desire of even not to want to be reconciled. Um, listen, to, listen to what uh, Paul says to the Ephesians. Uh, verse 26 of Ephesians 4, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. That's probably not an accurate translation. He's not, saying, he's not commanding people to be angry. What he's saying is, when you're angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Meaning, deal with your anger right away. You say, what happens, Paul, if I don't resolve my conflict quickly? If I, I'm not committed to reconciliation? Look at what it says there. Do not, verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. Do you know why so many marriages dissolve? They dissolve because they've let the devil into their marriage. Not my language, not making it up, that's the Bible's language. When you let the sun go down on your anger, meaning if you don't deal with your anger, your conflict in a biblical way, if you don't pursue reconciliation quickly and biblically, you let the devil's influence into your marriage. That's why distance happens. That's why coldness happens. That's why bitterness and resentment happens. That's why two people that love to be together now can barely be in the same room. That's why they have independent lives. That's why they... The, 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 the disease of marriage erosion starts with not reconciling your conflict. So don't do that. Uh, there has to be a commitment to reconcile. Secondly, um, this is something my, my wife and I came up with years ago. You, you need to spend time with God. If you've had a conflict, the first thing you ought to do is take some time to be with the Lord. So we learned early on in our marriage, we had, we had wonderful mentors that helped us with this. Let, let's say we get in an argument. and, and this, I, I'm saying marriage. This can be you and your parents. This can be you and your best friend. This can be you and your child. This can be um, you, know, you and somebody you work with. The procedure is the same, whatever the relationship. Um, Lisa and I learned early on that when we have a conflict, the first thing we need to do is go get our hearts right with God. So, so we, we, we came up with something like this. Hey, I, I think we're going the wrong direction with this. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I'm going to go out on the porch and spend some time with God and get my heart right. She's like, yeah, I need to do that too. I'm going to go to the bedroom and do that. Let's come back at uh, 6.30 and, uh, and let's talk about this. Okay. And then we part ways. We have an agreed upon time where we're going to come back together. So it's not like I'm out of here, you know, and jump in the truck and take off. Uh, it's, it's, it's for the purpose of getting my heart right. We're going to come back at this time. And then that way, that, remember, remember uh, the first two, right? My, my disposition, my desires, I've got to deal with the Lord with that. So that's a good thing to do. First, uh, 1 John 1, 1.9, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us. Luke 17, 3, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. We Terry talked about that. So I, I need to let the vertical aspect precede the horizontal. I've got to get right with God first, then I can go to my spouse. There needs to be an understanding of confession and forgiveness. Uh, and again, we'll just wave our hands at this, because I know Terry just uh, did a whole bunch here. You, you saw the, the seven A's of confession, right? Terry talked to you about those. Um, this comes from a, a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And um, <clears throat> again, uh, when you and I need to reconcile to God or with someone else, this is the procedure. Uh, passages like Psalm 32, Psalm 51, uh, 2 Corinthians 7 that Terry talked to you about. These are a part of how we do confession. Those illustrate it. 
Um, okay, so we, we walk through confession. We address everyone involved. We avoid excuses. We admit specifically what we did. We acknowledge the hurt. We accept the consequences. We alter your behavior. You guys did this last hour, right? Okay. And then this, this, the, second, the last thing is we ask for forgiveness. And as Terry taught you, forgiveness is a fourfold promise, isn't it? When you say to somebody, I forgive you, what you're saying is, I'm promising to do four things. I'm promising to discipline my mind to not dwell on it. I'm promising to um, not bring it up and use it against you. I'm promising to not gossip with other people about it. And I'm promising that I'm committed to the relationship and I'm going to work on it with you. Um, <clears throat> the way I remember these is there's a mind test, there's a history test, there's a gossip test, there's a relationship test. Four tests of forgiveness. The mind test. Am I disciplining my mind? You can't replay the video over and over and over and over and over again. That hurtful thing. That's not forgiveness. You have to discipline your mind to, to stop playing, playing the video. The history test. You, you can't say, didn't, didn't, the, didn't we just talk about this last week? Didn't you just do this last week? And you bring up the past and you use it against them. That's a violation of number two, right? The history test. Number three, you can't go talk to your guy friends about how lousy your wife is. You can't go talk to your girlfriends. You can't get on social media and vent, right? That's a violation of forgiveness. That's the gossip test. And number four, the relationship test. This is the old notion that sadly I've heard Christians say, oh, I've forgiven him. I just don't want anything to do with him anymore. That's not forgiveness. Oh, I forgave my mother 20 years ago, but we haven't, we haven't spoken since then. That's not forgiveness. You say, how do we know that's not forgiveness? Because that's not how God treats us. God doesn't say, hey, Keith, I've forgiven you, but I'm not sure I want a relationship with you anymore. The, the glory of biblical forgiveness, guys, is it restores the relationship. And, and it affirms the commitment to the relationship, right? Forgiveness means I'm willing to work on us. Now, a footnote, just a footnote, a very important footnote. That may take time. There may be wisdom involved. You've got some big breach of trust, like an adultery. You've got something challenging, like abuse. There are ways to do this wisely, carefully, and taking time. And that's certainly appropriate. All I'm saying is, if I'm forgiving them, I'm making a commitment with God's grace and help, as much as it depends on me, to try to have a good relationship with this person. Now, they may not want that, right? Okay, well, I did my best. But my effort there is to try. And, um, and I, know, I know that's hard, guys. I know probably for some of you, you're going, but you don't know my situation. Um, that's true. I don't know your situation. But you know what I found is that as we meditate more on the grace of God shown to us in Christ in forgiving us the greater debt, as we meditate on that, God does something amazing in our hearts. He softens it. He empowers it. He guides it so that we have grace to forgive the person that's hurt us horribly. Jesus is the one that helps us to do that and only him. So that's biblical forgiveness. And then we want to deal with the parts of the conflict in the appropriate order. Right? Remember those first two we talked about? The disposition of the desires? I have to repent of my selfish disposition. You need to repent of Burger King theology. 
It is not my way right away. It's God's way right away. And I repent of that, right? I say, Lord, I'm living for myself. Please forgive me. I want to live for you. You died to free me from living for self. Help me to live for you. I want, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, to do all to the glory of God. Help me. Help me. I want to live for you. And then that, let that spill into my desires. I must repent of any ruling desires that are competing with Christ and leading me to sin. If I'm, if I'm caught up in wanting a new truck or a new handgun from Cabela's or just wanting my wife to respect me or ladies, if I, I'm, I'm demanding my husband be more uh, sensitive and he's lis- listening more and he's more, paying more attention on me, those are good desires that can get to be too strong to where they're ruling us and directing us rather than letting Christ's desires rule us and direct us. So I have to repent of those wants that uh, are ruling me too much. Um, uh, You guys learned last weekend we were together that anger is God's warning system that we want something too much, right? That's what anger is telling us. It's saying, you're wanting something too much and you need to relax that desire and not make it a demand. I want to replace that with a desire to love God and love neighbor. Again, go back to aisle nine at Home Depot. If I'm wanting to love my wife, have an expression of my love for God, that's going to affect how I think about what she's saying, her opinion. It's going to affect um, my listening. It's going to affect my thought about pushing my way and how much I'm demanding that. It's going to change all of that to where I can sit down and this is this you know. My, Hopefully this is what where we're all moving toward in our marriages and our relationships where she can express her opinion, I can express my opinion, and out of a love for Christ and a love for one another, we work on making a decision together. And that's, that's the goal, is to get there. But if, if my desire has become a demand, or if her desire has become a demand, and my goal is to just get my own way rather than please Christ, then that's not, we're not going to go there. It's going to end up in a conflict. Okay, so I deal with my disposition, I deal with the desire, then I have to deal with the relationship, right? I have to go back, and this is hard. Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You know that story? Jesus is uh, talking, he tells a story about Mr. Log and Mr. Speck. You guys know Mr. Log and Mr. Speck? Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Log, he's got a, a, a 12-foot 2x8 coming out of his right eye. But boom, right, just lumber, major lumber. And um, Mr. Log, uh, you know, when he, when he drives in his car, he's got to roll the window down so the lumber can stick out the window. When he walks in the room, Mr. Log, everybody ducks because Mr. Log's going to knock him over. And Mr. Log, he's got this big, huge, and, and people kind of tolerate the log, you know, and but, I mean, it's, it's the most obvious thing about him to everybody else except him. He's blind to his log. And Jesus says, there's this other guy, Mr. Speck. He's got a little, little speck of dust right, right under his left eye. And, um, and that's Mr. Speck. And Mr. Log and Mr. Speck are friends. Mr. Log goes to Mr. Speck one day and he goes, oh, he's got a speck under his eye. And... That's a, that's a bad spec. That spec doesn't honor God, so I need to confront my brother. That's in the Bible somewhere. And so Mr. Log goes to Mr. Speck to confront him, about takes him out, like I just took out my water bottle here, about takes him out, Mr. Speck ducks, and he says, Mr. Speck, I love you. You need to repent of your speck. 
And I guarantee you, the people listening to Jesus telling the story, they're laughing. That's the silliest thing I've seen. And then Jesus says, what? You hypocrite. Right? First remove the log from your own eye, then you'll see clearly. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, we are not qualified to go to our brother or sister and talk to them about their shortcomings until we've dealt with our own. So that, that's what I do. When I'm going to my brother or sister, my wife, my child, my parent, and I'm saying, I want to work this out, the first way I do that is I'm repenting of my logs, my, my sins, my contribution to the relationship struggle, and I seek confession and forgiveness, and then I seek um, to restore the relationship there. Okay, And then the last area we work on is this that middle area of your chart, right? The differences and disagreements. And you understand that if you're talking about a paint color for your mailbox post, that, that's a morally neutral decision. Now, sometimes we want to make decisions like that a moral issue. I've done that, you've done that, right? The Bible doesn't give any moral direction. You can paint it periwinkle, you can paint it blue, you can paint it black, whatever you want, right? But I've made it a moral issue because I'm going to get my way and it's right. It's not just my preference, it's the right way. So we have to make sure to recognize most of those decisions, guys, are not morally significant issues. They're preference issues. You say, okay, so what do I do with a preference issue? It's a paint color. It's a... It's a fake tree or live tree. It's a, you know, whatever it is. You consider your brother or sister's opinion as more important than yours. Philippians says that, right? There's our verse there. Philippians 2. Uh, be, uh, what does he say? Um, um, how's it start? Do, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, yeah. do, do nothing from selfishness, right? Or empty conceit, but with humility of mind... Regard one another as more important than yourself. Which means, which means, I say to my wife, if you want to do periwinkle, I love periwinkle. Do periwinkle. She says, you, you, what's that? Don't lie, is that what she said? Yeah, that's right. No, no, here's the thing. Paul's not saying lie to yours, but he's saying you have to believe that. You have to believe that. Not, not that that's your preference, but that your preference is her preference. You see the difference? I don't have to say that's my favorite color. I can say my favorite thing is to bless my wife, to bless my spouse. That is my favorite thing. You say, really? It takes the grace of Jesus to die to yourself to be able to say that sincerely and honestly. But that's what the Bible is calling us to do to give preference. Is it a sin issue? Maybe the debate is over something sinful. Well, that's a repentance issue, isn't it? That's not a preference issue. It's a sin issue. What if it's a gray area, an issue of wisdom, right? Maybe it's an area that the Bible gives some direction, but it's like, you know, maybe it's a schooling choice. Maybe it's a medical decision. Maybe it's some financial thing. And you're like, you know, the Bible gives us some direction, but, but we just can't get on the same page. Well, guess what? You can pray you can ask for God's wisdom and you study the scriptures together to work on a decision. And if you still can't come to a decision, guess what? You've got a church. You've got godly people in your life. You've got leaders. You've got couples that are a few steps further in life that you say, yeah, uh, we, we admire them. We look up to them. Can you give us some advice? You guys had to make decisions like this in your marriage back in the day, right? Yeah, we did. 
Help us. How did you guys biblically arrive at a decision? Why did you make the decision? So we work through those differences and disagreements based on the type of disagreement that we're having, and then we follow biblical instructions. Okay, you got some great resources. Uh, Pastor Terry um, talked about some of these as well. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I pray that you will help the grace of Jesus to transform our desires and our hearts, that we would long to please you and not ourselves, that our wants would always be governed by Scripture and not become demands, and that we would prioritize reconciliation with other people, and even that you would help us to be the sort of people that find joy in deferring to other people's preferences. Father, these are radical things, but we believe that your grace is radical and you can change us into people like you uh, that love and care and prefer others. And so I pray that even as we might be facing broken relationships today or relationship tensions, that these truths would guide and direct us, leading us to repentance and, and leading to reconciliation and harmony. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.